Hi there, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Gomes, Dr. Brennan Gomes, owner of the Lab Sportsman Movement. In today's episode, we're going to go over everything in terms of movement, injury prevention, and we're going to answer your questions at the end of today's episode. Dr. Gomes, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today, sir? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get this going. My pleasure, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited as well. So first off, for the people who don't know who you are, uh, who's Brennan Gomes? Like, what, do you, what do you do? What do you specialize in? And what do you do based on an everyday uh, basis with your team at the lab? Uh, yeah, so uh, I own a sportsman clinic. We have a fully functioning uh, facility. We got physios, chiros, osteos, massage therapists. And uh, my job is largely to work with uh, athletes and an athletic population to get them back from sports injuries. Uh, but I also work a lot with performance optimization. So getting people to move better, especially in the sporting realm. Awesome, man. Yeah. You've done it a long way. I remember you back in uh, Streetsville, probably like four or five years ago. I mean, it was four years ago, roughly, when you had that uh, small little place there you're renting out. And uh, I remember you going yeah. to the center after that. And now you got your own uh, beautiful place at the lab. So your success, success continues to build uh, every single year. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the kind words. My pleasure. Let's dive right into it, guys. So based on the first topic, we're going to get into kind of human movements and kind of build off that. But first off, a couple of key principles we really want to discuss is mobility and stability. So a question for Dr. Gomes here. Can you maybe just give us a few definitions in layman's terms of mobility and stability and how they kind of go hand in hand? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that I get asked all the time. Uh, you know, these are, are words that are mesh words in the fitness industry these days. Um, so I'll try and break it down pretty simply. So mobility is basically the ability for you to actively control the joint. So it's not just how stretchy a joint is, it's how well you can control said joint at the end of its flexibility. Uh, it's a trainable trait, meaning that you can train mobility just like you can train strength or you can train the cardiovascular system. And its main job is to prevent injury, but also to make joints more resilient. Stability is just the ability to not move. So they're kind of opposite. Um, all joints need a blend of both. No joint is just mobile and no joint is just stable, but there are joints that tend to be more mobile and there are joints that tend to be more stable, um, but it's important to train both depending on what joint you're looking at. Absolutely. And I think it's the common misconception between mobility and kind of flexibility, which I'll talk about later, is like you said, it, mobility is an active component to it, right? We're really got to, we got to actually control that or that contraction at the end of the joint, like you said, opposed to just kind of like hanging out our leg on top of a bench. We're just kind of like passively stretching the, the muscle of the joint. So I think yeah. that's the biggest difference between mobility and flexibility. I think there's a lot of confusion there in the fitness industry. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So kind of building off that now, you kind of talk about mobility and stability. And one concept that kind of really stuck out for me a few years ago, I think it was actually even you who did the presentation, it might have been 2017. And that's something called the joint by joint theory. So can you maybe explain to the audience what the joint by joint theory is? And maybe can you give a practical example how that kind of plays into the fitness room, maybe like a squat or whatever exercise you have in mind? Yeah. So the joint by joint theory is uh, a theory designed by two of the most respected guys in the strength and conditioning world, Mike Boyle and Greg Cook. And what they said was that every joint basically relies on other joints to work properly. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. So what it is, is your joints will alternate. So for example, if we start at the top, your neck generally is a stable joint. Your thoracic spine is mobile. Your low back is stable. 
your hips are mobile, your knees are stable, your ankle is mobile, your feet are stable. So we'll see this kind of layering of mobile, stable, mobile, stable. And when injuries start to happen is when joints don't do their job properly. So a real life example and one that many people are probably you know, aware of, uh, if your hips don't work well, you're going to have some knee pain. Or if your hips don't work well, you're going to have some back pain. And if we look at, you know, the knees and the low back, those are two of the most common complaints that come into my office. And a lot of the times, the first thing I'll do is I'll assess their hips, especially if there's no trauma, if it's something that's, you know, gotten worse over time. So the joint by joint theory, without going too far into it, is just saying that all joints need each other to work well. Yeah, absolutely. And very well said. And Let's say, for example, now kind of building off what you just said. Let's say, for example, during a squat, if I have limited ankles, you're going to touch about we need mobile ankles to squat, especially squat deep. If I don't have mobility in my ankles, what would some what some compensations would happen if you try to get down to that deep squat throughout that throughout the body, basically? Yeah. So your your bodies are very resilient, right? Everyone's body is very resilient. It's made to complete a task. So if it doesn't have a certain range of motion in one joint, it will start to steal from joints nearby. So with an ankle dorsiflexion limitation, what we'll see a lot of is people leaning with the bar forward, or another common one is we'll collapse the foot to try and get further forward, or we'll see the knees collapse in, or we'll see the upper back collapse in. And these are probably squat faults that we've all seen, but they, until you fix the issue at hand, which is the limitation in the ankle, you will continue to have these collapses otherwhere in the chain. Yeah, very well said. Exactly. And, that, and you, you can kind of like play around. Like I know people sometimes have mobility, you kind of spin the feet out to get it down a little bit deeper. Or um, if you ever see kind of people um, put those heels elevated on uh, weights to kind of go down a little bit, it kind of shortens the calves a bit. So it kind of almost cheats uh, a mobility sense in that terms of range of motion. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's very well said. Um, we're always going to get conversations uh, if we don't have the mobility in one joint, whether it's the the ankle, the hip, the thoracic spine. And that's kind of, I'm assuming what you get a lot of um clients kind of come in of injuries happening above or below, like you said, with a knee, low back, neck, oh, all yeah. this goes on. Yeah. And, you know, to just touch base on stuff like heel lifts for a squat, you know, I don't have a problem with them if you're yep. working towards making your ankles better. Right. So if, if you know, exactly. okay, you go see someone like me and they say, Hey, you know, your ankles need some work and you don't want to stop squatting. Great. Squat with the heel lifts, but do some ankle exactly. mobility. Yeah, I'm, ex I'm the exact same page as well. And I see limitation when I screen someone. If I see like very limited ankles, that's what I'll do. Kind of get someone, um, you know, elevate up a little bit, kind of helps that range of motion and just kind of really try to fix that root problem, try to improve the mobility um, in the process. That usually yeah. goes well hand to hand. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of like the intro of movements of what Dr. Gomes kind of touched upon. And now let's kind of get into how can you actually change your movement? So I know you kind of talked about uh, mobility and you can obviously change mobility. But let's kind of uh, talk a little bit now about that flexibility versus mobility. So flexibility. So why does static stretching, so flexibility, like why doesn't it work if you just kind of focus on that static stretching? And what would be the approach to actually change mobility in terms of the long, the long haul? Yeah, okay. So uh, trying not to go into a rabbit hole here, but the, the scientific principle is static stretching does not change the viscoelasticity of muscle which is basically the ability of a muscle to lengthen and stay that length. Your muscles don't just get tight because you wake up one day and they're like, hey, Rich, we're going to tighten your quads in. Your muscles will right. get tight due to responses in the joint. And so when we right. just start to stretch a muscle, it's like we stretch a rubber band. 
You just pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it. And then once you let it go, wham, it snaps back to where it was. Now it doesn't happen as fast in muscle, you know, research says around 20 minutes to 40 minutes, depending on how long you hold a stretch. However, the most important thing is your body has not learned how to produce force at that stretched range. And so whenever you have to ask your body to use it, it doesn't know how, right? So right. Mo mobility is that combination where there's flexibility and there's strength. Flexibility yeah. is just how stretchy something is. Um, right. So that's, that's the main difference between those two. And in order to get better mobility, you have to show your body that you can produce a force in that position. Absolutely. And I think stretching too, like a lot of people just kind of static stretch and a lot of times it can actually do more harm than good. Right. So just cause like a muscle feels stiff, uh, it doesn't actually mean that muscles short per se. Right. So I don't know how many times I kind of got, I don't know about you. Uh, people ask me a lot of times like, Hey Rich, uh, my hips are feeling uh, tight. What's going to hip flexion stretch. So I'll kind of tell them, um, okay, do a, do a Thomas test. So the Thomas test, if, for, uh, if people aren't really familiar with that, it's basically a hip flexor length test. And they'll kind of pass with flying colors, right? So if I'm giving a stretch to someone who has adequate length, you could potentially do more harm than good. And there's protective tension, there's hypermobility, which we'll touch on a little bit later. But if you don't know what you're stretching and you're not really sure, uh, you can kind of maybe expand this, but it's probably best bet to just kind of leave that muscle alone and kind of build the mobility like you said earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the best uh, quotes I've ever been told was stiffness hides a stability problem. So, right. you know, a lot of the times our joints are, are, our joints are meant to be loaded, right? We have these, these beautiful ball and socket joints that are capable of 100 degrees of motion and, and need to be loaded. But then we live in a society where it becomes so easy to not move them. And so they tighten up because they're not being used to their full, you know, regard. So a lot of the times, yeah. if you have some tightness, the best thing you want to be doing is, you know, you can stretch it within a, a normal range, but you just harping on your hip flexor or your hamstring, you know, how many of you have stretched your hamstring endlessly without any change in your hamstring? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in terms of sticking with that hip flexor example, a lot of times you can maybe expand this if you want as well, but a lot of times some of just kind of lack of good, like you talk about the stiffness, the kind of lack of that good stiffness in the core, so the front part of the abs, and even some stiffness in the glutes, right? So maybe we're just kind of missing that good stability, that good stiffness in the abs and glutes, and that's why your hip flexors are always on fire. Maybe they're always kind of feeling that, that tight feeling. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. And to kind of build my static stretching, I know uh, you're a big mobility guy. Uh, maybe the audience kind of wants to know, is there ever a time where static stretching would be appropriate to do? And if so, uh, when would you use it? Yeah. I mean, you know, let's start with me saying that I'm not against stretching. You know, it's not like I'm saying stretching is the worst thing you can do. It's not. Let's be honest. Stretching just feels great. You know, it feels yeah. good to lengthen tissue. And I understand that. Um, but I'm talking about it from a performance and an injury prevention point of view. There are times where it can be useful. You know, uh, for example, right before a workout. So we just talked about the ability of static stretching to lengthen tissue for a short period of time. Well, then wouldn't it make sense to lengthen it before you want to use it? Right. So if, yeah. I, if I'm sprinting, do I want to stretch my hamstrings before I put them on a full stretch while sprinting? Yeah, sure I do. Right. However, if I want to permanently change my hamstrings so I don't have to do as much stretching, then I'll do stuff like Romanian deadlifts and or the hamstring curl and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Makes so, sense. So, and, and, you know, there's also some research to say that static stretching can help with DOMS or how sore you are after a workout. But outside of that, there's yeah. not really much in terms of permanent change that happens with stretching. 
Yeah, it kind of goes all back to like the pass modality, right? You can use kind of like passive as to kind of loosen some things up and you want to kind of like get some active movement once you kind of clear some things up, right? Kind of using passive and then active, whether it's like uh, foam rolling, sack stretching, um, stuff that you do. I'm sure that's obviously fantastic, like joint manipulation, kind of stuff like that. Whatever kind of pass modalities, but you want to kind of get that good stiffness in the right places after we do that passive, uh, those passive drills, whatever we we kind of get into that after yeah what i tell patients is you know if you can stretch before and then you can actively use it it's like hitting the save button on the range of motion that you got if your body learns yeah. how to save it then you can use it and if it doesn't then you'll never be able to use it that's perfectly said that's 100 yeah 100 agree with that that's very well said yeah okay so one topic I want to get into, it's, uh, it's obviously got a lot of research for the last decade, and that is the thoracic spine. So for a lot of people who are unsure what the thoracic spine is, it's just kind of at mid-back, it's below the neck, it's above the lower back, so kind of that mid-back region. So can you talk about, we kind of touched a little bit on the joint-by-joint -joint theory, about the breakdowns, um, if that mobile joint's not really working well, but can you talk about how important that thoracic spine is, and what are some common breakdowns you generally see in your clinic if we don't have good thoracic extension or rotation? All right, this is, uh, this is gonna be a deep one, but I'll try and shorten it. <laughs> so the T-spine to me is the crux of the joint by joint theory. It's, it's a joint that nobody thinks about, you know, unless you work in the field. And um, it's a joint that's supposed to be inherently mobile that is surrounded by three stable joints, right? So you got, you got your mid-back, on top we got our neck, at the bottom we got our low back, and on either side we have our scapula or our shoulder blade. Now, you know, it's supposed to be the most mobile area of your spine, yet it's the one that people tend to move the least. It's capable of nearly 90 degrees of rotation, 40 degrees of extension, 60 degrees of flexion. So very, very mobile. And, you know, to get up into an overhead position, you do need to be able to arch through there. And the problem is people spend all day at a desk or all day on their phones or whatever, and we're in a constantly flexed position. And then all of a sudden it's 5 p.m. and we get to the gym and we have 10 sets of overhead presses where we have to flip our spine in the reverse and throw 135 pounds on the bar. And then we wonder, you know, why we have pinchy shoulders or achy low back or achy necks. And a lot of the times the issue is the thoracic spine. Yes, correct. That's very well said. Yeah. And, um, like I said, to your point, but exactly the overhead pressing, myself, like I kind of have limited thoracic extension. So I don't overhead press. If I overhead press, um, breakdowns are going to happen. I'm going to probably shoulder impingement. I'm just going to really grind away in that joint. So it's just exactly building off what you said. Having that thoracic extension and rotation just so important to make those joints stable that we don't get excessive mobility in our neck or our low back or, like I said, our shoulder um, as just that breakdown is going to happen eventually down the road. Yeah, and as just a, an add-on to this, so if we're, if, you know, people are like, oh, but I love the shoulder press. Well, if you think about it, you know, how much of the, the forces are being applied to the right tissues? If every time you press, you're mm -hmm. arching through your back, you know, are you better off doing something like uh, a Z press? Are you better off doing a neutral grip shoulder press or even a lateral raise, you're going to get more delts than you will if you're arching your back or neck like crazy doing a press. Yeah, exactly. And so I do as well on some of my clients that are really limited in thoracic spine. I think a landmine press is a great option as well. Like a standing landmine press, you can kind of build it from there, go down to your knees. Obviously, you need a little more shoulder flexion from there. But I think a landmine press is also a fantastic option as it really gets those shoulder blades moving uh, upwards and around the body as well. It's kind of really trained that pattern. Absolutely. I love landmines. Absolutely. For sure, man. 
Okay, let's go on to the next one. And this is obviously a big one these days. Everyone kind of talks about uh, the core, core stability. So I'll try not to give you too much of a broad question here, but maybe just in a sentence or two. So what is the core and what is the true function of the core? Okay, so the core is more than your six pack is the short answer. Um, the core, in, yeah. you know, it is a, a ton of muscles. So yes, it's a six pack. It's the two muscles underneath, uh, transverse abdominis and the diaphragm. And then it also includes your hips, which people don't really know about and the pelvic floor. Uh, the job of the core is largely to be stable, which is its job is to resist motion. And if you look at how people have trained the core historically, it's to produce motion. So, you know, we'll do things like mason twists, crunches, V-ups, which I'm not saying are bad exercises, but I'm saying you're not training the core in the function that it's intended to do for an athletic purpose. <laughs> um, the core has two jobs. So as I said, the first one is to be stable. And the second one is to transfer forces from the upper body to the lower body or from the lower body to the upper body. So if we think about baseball player who's swinging, if you break down the swing, you see him plant the hip, then the core is used to transfer the rotation of the hip to the rotation of the trunk and the shoulders. And then the bat hits the ball. Those are the two jobs that it needs to be doing. And if you notice, the hip was involved in that because the hip and is part of the core. So it's, it's quite a broad topic, but um, it is, you know, yeah. Long story short, your core needs to be resilient in a variety of planes and not just in crunch. Yeah, exactly. And Kind of build not that. That's exactly what I train core. Like the last, especially the last few years, it's just kind of more anti-work. So like anti-movement. So basically anti-extension. We're trying to prevent that lower back from arching. Um, anti that lateral flexion. We're trying to bend towards the side. Um, anti-rotation, like a power press. We're trying to prevent rotation through your spine. Is that how you kind of train your clients to the core as well in terms in the rehab setting, or do you anything anything kind of different from that? So how would you kind of goal from there. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what I'll do is, is I'll find a limitation. You know, maybe they continue to blow out their back rotating forward or something. Then we'll start to train the core that way. Um, but yeah, we, we use yeah. a lot of anti-motions and then even, you know, stuff like heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, any anything right, where there's a right. bar on your back, your abs are working extremely hard to not have your spine crumble. Right. Like your, your, your abs yeah. are on at all times yeah. with compound movements like that. So I think that's another big one to use. hundred percent. Very good point too. That's definitely a fantastic way to train the core as well, yep. for sure. Okay. I'm going I'm to lead you again to uh, another topic. I kind of really think that gets overlooked. And for myself, um, kind of when I really started getting the movement a few years ago, I never really addressed this too much and that's hypermobility. So first off, can you maybe explain to the audience what hypermobility is? And what do you find is more of a problem, hypomobility, so lack mobility, or hypermobility? Yeah, okay, cool. So hypermobility um, is basically a condition where genetically you are just born with very flexible tissue. So we all know these people. These are the people that can, you know, put their foreheads onto the ground, bending forward, and get into crazy amounts of stretch. And it's not necessarily a bad thing at all. You know, we are born with different uh, genetics, the same way you have black hair or brown hair and I have black hair, people have very hypermobile joints and hypomobile joints. And, you know, both can cause injuries. Neither of them are inherently bad. However, hypo or less mobility tends to be a lot more common than hyper. 
because hypomobility mm-hmm. happens through what your movement habits are, right? So people people aren't yeah. necessarily born stiff; they become stiff. Where people can be born to be hyper right. hyper mobile. Um, you know, a, a good yeah. example I always use when people tell me, "Oh, I'm really mobile; I don't have to worry about injury." Well, tell that to any gymnast. You know, tell me why gymnasts have their own therapists inside gyms. Like they they are among the most mm. common treated athletes and. They're also the most flexible or yogis. You know, there's lots of yogis that I see come in here that, yeah. uh, that have issues with hips yeah. and, and whatnot. So the, the injuries happen in being hypermobile when you start to passively just hang on your tissues and you're not using any, any muscular right. contraction. So picture just hanging on a tissue. Of course, after you know, a while, there's going to be some strains, some strains, some, some awkward joint injuries. And these are the individuals that you really want to train in strength training and being able to control the joint through an entire range. Right. Right. Absolutely. Very well. So, and would you use something like, um, maybe you can kind of touch this, like a close, like I'll even touch myself, like a closed chain exercise. So closed chain for people who aren't really familiar, it, for example, you a squat where your feet are kind of fixed to the ground or a push up your hands are kind of fixed to the ground. So if someone has a hypermobility, would you kind of recommend training them more in a closed chain fashion or just kind of mix and match with open chain? To be honest, I don't know if there's exactly a, a training scheme. I think it really depends on, on the individual and what they're presenting with. Um, but I will usually do gotcha. a lot of um, controlled articular rotations or cars just because it works through the entire yep. joint and it's a very easy way to identify some deficits. And then you can kind of sit back with a sniper rifle and pick off exactly what they need versus just throwing them under a barbell. But that being said, yeah. I do think yeah. they would benefit from being thrown under a barbell. So it really depends on the patient. Yeah, like you said, just personalized to the own. Yeah, 100% makes sense for sure. And if people are going to wonder, like, how do you know if you're hypermobile? Do you ever use um, the Baden test score? I believe it's called. Do you ever use that as a good guideline? Or do you kind of have your own uh, thing in terms of testing? The honest truth is I have, but I've kind of learned through, you know, palpation and watching people move. If they're hypermobile or not, you'll know within the first few minutes. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's not. I don't really use it that frequently. Fair enough. Gotcha. Okay, kind of moving on from there. We're almost kind of wrapping up right here. Um, I got a big one for Brennan because I know I know his answer for this one, but I kind of want to get your uh, opinion when people say uh, deadlifts are bad for your back. So feel free to go to town this one, buddy. What do, what are your views on that? When people say deadlifts are bad. For your back? Uh, I, I've heard it so much. I. I don't know. So I think, you know, it gets a bad rep because I think the amount of uh, issues you have or the amount of disability you have when you blow your back is a lot more than when you blow your ankle or your wrist or your shoulder, right? You blow your back, you're done for four days. You may take a few days off work. And I think any exercise where people see that, they associate it with a bad exercise, right? So the truth of the matter is your spine is extremely resilient. Right. So think about the guys that are squatting 500 pounds. You have 500 pounds on your spine. Okay. And your spine is able to withstand these forces. And the spine is not made of pixie dust. It's made of everything that other joints are. So it's able to get stronger. It's able to be loaded. It's it's surrounded by good tissue and um, it's meant to be loaded. And so when we get deadlifts and we start to get heavier and we start to progress them. What we do here is we strengthen the muscles that surround your spine. So do you think that if I'm shoveling and I yeah. can deadlift 400 pounds, I'm going to have a much lower chance 
of blowing on my back shoveling than the guy who's never deadlifted. You know, in, in fact, I find that people are scared to deadlift maybe because they don't know the technique well, or a lot of the times the people that have chronic low back pain and should be deadlifting don't know how to hinge properly, right? So I think deadlifts can be uh, injury causing when they're not trained properly or when people are unsure of exactly why they're being used. And I also think they should be exclusively used for right. strength. I don't believe in doing deadlifts for 15 reps. You know, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. You're using a strength exercise, but I think that if yep. they get a bad name and a bad rep for no reason. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, and that's coming from someone in the rehab world. I don't like what I said. Everybody thinks I'm biased. I'm in the fitness and strength. Obviously you got a lot of fitness and strength background. Um, is the goal along with rehab, but even a prime example, I remember in August, uh, we, I kind of screened a client, she has some back pain. Um, I sent her to you and, uh, you basically told me like, Rich, teach her how to hit pins, uh, teach her. How to and I think in the span of one week, maybe two weeks maximum, her pain went down significantly. Like, I obviously we did, I know you did some course stability with her, a couple other things as well. But basically, she's a teacher to hip hinge, uh, taught her how to hip hinge. She mastered it. We load some weight onto that. And her back just felt so much better after. So, a lot of people think delts are bad for your back, but it can actually be one of the best things for your back as long as you're going to correct Yeah, what I always tell people is, you know, if, you're, if you think you have a weak back, wouldn't it make sense to strengthen the muscles around it? You know, if you have a weak link in the chain, you know, if you had a, a bad knee, would yeah. you just never lunge or squat or go upstairs again? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just such a functional pattern. Like, you said, like, shoveling snow, it's just learning how to hit pinch is so one of the most functional tasks you can do really in everyday life. There's so many times we've got to hit pinch. So you always want to kind of train that movement and really kind of match from there. And generally, good things yeah. happen when you awesome. actually know how to hit pinch. And, uh, yeah, that basically concludes everything, uh, Dr. Gomes. Is there anything else in particular you want to touch on before we um, kind of wrap up right not here? Not really. I think we actually – we covered quite a bit today. It was, I looked at the sheet. I was like, wow, it's a lot. But, uh, no, no, I just think that, you know, people – We did. We need to understand that we are inherently born to move. Like, we literally, we have these beautiful ball and socket joints and all these interconnected joints to produce an ability to move. And I think – we're in a society that just makes it so easy not to move, you know, for all of the advancements in technology that we've had in the workforce, we've had no reduction in injury. We've actually have had an increase and in a bunch of new injuries come on. So um, I think that as movement is medicine and the more you move, the healthier you'll be as you get older. And uh, you know, what's important is just exploring a variety of movements. Yeah, exactly. Train the muscles, or as I said, mobilizing, train the muscles, kind of all those three planes of motion, right? And just the old saying, use it or lose it, right? If you don't use it, um, generally you're going to lose it, especially yeah, exactly. as you kind of get a little bit older as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That's uh, Dr. Brendan Gomes. You can find him and his team um, at The Lab, Movement and Sports. And you guys are located in Mississauga near about Winston yep. Churchill, uh, Ridgeway area. Uh, he's my go-to guy. Any clients have any sort of injuries kind of banged up, um, I always send them to Brendan. He's a guy I trust. So check him and his team out at the lab. Dr. Gomes, no problem. thanks, thanks so for having me in the show, man. Today. I really enjoyed it. Take care, bud. My pleasure, man. We'll do that again sometime. Have a good day, buddy. And that's the last episode of the podcast. Or that's the end of the podcast today, guys. 